All right, Ephesians chapter number 5, if you would please. Ephesians chapter number 5. While you're turning there, let me just say it is an honor to uh, preach in Pastor Stead. And it's an honor, of course, to work with the men and women on staff throughout all of our ministries. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to next week. I'm looking forward to what the Lord is uh, going to do in my heart and uh, through our church. But I'm also looking forward to what he's going to do in the hearts of those that will be here next week. Uh, with that said, I do, I do want to be mindful of, of time tonight. And I think that you will always uh, appreciate that. A lot of work. Uh, or I'm talking about early in the morning and late at night from all across this auditorium and perhaps those in, in different places on the property tonight have been put in in preparation for the conference and I know that you're tired and, and so I want to be considerate of that tonight and so uh, I won't be too long, I won't go past two hours, I promise that. And uh, but no, we won't we won't be long tonight. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to consider the relationship of the home. And specifically, we're going to look at marriage and how in the Bible it often represents the relationship between Christ and the church. And what I want us to do is look at some principles that will help us in our own relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But before we do that, I'll try to start uh, with something a little funny. It might apply to you. you. You might think it's funny, but it will depend on which side of the aisle that you are. Uh, but once upon a time, there was a married couple traveling down a road in complete silence. I mean, it was a country road, and, uh, and they were silent because they had just gotten in a fight. Anybody ever been there before? I mean, you don't have to acknowledge it, but it was probably on the way to church tonight. Uh, and if it wasn't on the way to church tonight, it'll be after church. You get in the car, and you look it over at your spouse, and you'll say, what would you like to eat tonight? And they'll say... I don't care, you choose, so you choose, you get home, you begin to eat, they're ticked off, notice I didn't say she, they're ticked off, and then they say, you know I didn't want to eat there in the first place. You know, stuff like that, it happens. Well, whatever took place, they're frustrated, and they're in complete silence, and they're traveling down this country road, when one of the spouses uh, leans over and points some cows in the field and says, relatives of yours? To which the other responded, yes, they're my in-laws. And uh, <laughs> mother-in-law, that, that wasn't me. I didn't say that. And we can't say those things in church. I, I'm so sorry. Allison put this in, so I, I, just, I was just reading what she wrote. Ephesians chapter number 5, and we will begin reading in verse number uh, 22. The Bible says this, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth 
and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. Notice this now. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. What I want us to do as we look through this passage of Scripture tonight, I want us to look at ourselves as a church. Certainly this application can be made in our own families and our own life. But I want, to, I want to speak on this subject tonight, what the church can learn from a biblical marriage. What the church can learn from a biblical marriage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we dive into your word tonight, we ask that you would draw out truth that we need in our own life. Certainly, if there's application that can be made to strengthen our own marriages, we would ask of that tonight. If there's something, Lord, that can help us grow as a church and be better as a church that we might further advance the cause of Christ, we just ask, Lord, that your spirit have liberty tonight to speak to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. What the church can learn from a biblical marriage. If you were to go back and you were to read this entire chapter, you'll find it speaks of our relationship with Christ. You see, it is very easy as we read the context of wives being submissive to the husband for all the men to say, Amen, until the application is made, are you submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ? And so we understand this relationship is being taught by Paul so that the church would understand the relationship it is to have with Christ. It begins early in the chapter with children referencing one's relationship with a family and following God, the leader of the home, the leader of that family, and how we are to walk in love because of what God has done for us. And I think it would be an important reminder for all of us tonight to understand that we deserve to live a holy, righteous life. We deserve to live a life pleasing to God because of what He has done for us. That is the least that we can do for Him before we make a decision that perhaps would uh, get us into sin or get us away from the Lord. May we step back and say, hey, is this a decision that would please the Lord? I think that is something owed to the Lord for all that He has done to us. We can make the application with our young people. Certainly, as they get older, they're going to make decisions. They're not always going to be the best decisions, but they're going to make decisions. I hope before they make that decision, they would ask, is this going to cause my parents grief? Is this going to please my parents? Will this make them proud? Why? Because parents have done a lot for them, and they ought to take a moment to consider how their choices and the consequences of those choices will impact those parents. But I think we would all agree that God has been good to us. He has provided for us. He saved us from our sin. And the re relationship we should see in the Christian's life is one of gratitude on our part that walks uprightly out of love for God. The kind of love the pa that this passage of Scripture teaches that abstains from fornication and uncleanliness and foolish talking because of who you represent, because of the relationship we all have with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it warns us of being deceived by children of disobedience. By the way, that's why we practice not only ecclesiastical from a church perspective, but individually, that's why we practice separation. That's why we separate ourselves from the wrong crowd. uh, Because the children of disobedience are those who use vain words, words that have no meaning or or fulfillment, whether it be religious or not, those that would seduce us away from the one that loves us. Seduce us from our church. Seduce us from our parents and our pastor. Seduce us from the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our life. And we have to be careful about that. That's why in 2 Timothy we are warned of these seducers, those that have a form of godliness. We have to be careful because these seducers will creep into our homes through social media. They will uh, creep into our homes through our music and through television and through the books that we read and the wrong associations, even those that claim to be religious. And if we're not careful, the Bible says that it can lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, those who are ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. And we must be careful as a church because a church is often referenced as a lady in the Bible. The church is referenced as the bride of Christ. And there are those that are trying to seduce Christ's bride today. As the church lusts after this world and what the world can offer, if I could say it this way, we find silly women, silly churches, who know better but are laden with sins, false doctrine, and worldly philosophies, and so forth trying to appeal to the attention of this world rather than their groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. But we should know better. Because though we were once in darkness, now we are children of light. Because we should know better, we should have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. What is that? Well, the Bible tells us the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. This speaks of those who redeem the time because the days are evil. I think our pastor has emphasized this in even recent messages, how uh, the Lord is coming back and there is a world that needs the gospel of the, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, we need to redeem the time and we need to fulfill our responsibility to get that gospel to a lost and dying world. This speaks of those who should walk circumspectly. Those who do not walk with their head to the ground, ignoring all that is going on around them. But those who are looking all around, aware and cautious, not as fools, the Bible says, but as the wise. Those who have a spiritual song in their heart, and I don't mean a worldly song spiritualized. But those who give thanks to the Lord. Thanks that is not just expressed in word, but in deed, in our character, in our integrity. Paul writes all of this concerning our relationship with the Lord. And then we are given this example at the latter portion of the chapter of a bride and groom between a husband and wife. We see this example throughout Scripture, but tonight we'll focus our study in Ephesians 5. And I want to focus on four principles for 
fundamental truths that I believe can be a help to us, not only in our relationship with one another, but in our relationship with the Lord. Number one, I want you to notice the word submission. Submission. Notice verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Listen, I realize that when we speak about the thought of one submitting to another, that is not a popular thing in our world today, especially in the context that we're dealing with. Because today it's about doing our own thing. Today it's about living our truth and living our experience. And it's about how we feel. Now I would remind all of us, man's opinion does not matter. It it does not matter what we think or how we feel, but what matters is what God thinks. Uh, What matters is what the Bible says. Submission speaks of surrender. Should we not be willing to surrender our lives for the furtherance of the gospel? Should we not be willing to surrender our life for the will of God? Romans chapter 12 speaks of this. But take note of this, because I think sometimes submission is often misconstrued or misapplied. Submission does not speak of, of a pushover. Submission does not speak of a mindless robot. This is not talking about submitting to another in sin either. But this does speak of one yielding to another. It is not weakness. Submission is strength for the collective body. Everybody can go back to their childhood and remember how you tried to pit mom and dad against each other. You went to dad, and dad said no. Or if you're my father, you go to my dad, and you ask him, he goes, I'll think about it, which meant no. So what did you do? You went and you asked mom, praying that she would not be on the same page as dad. But when two are in agreement with one another, there is not weakness, there is strength. Can I just say it this way? If we are not willing to submit to one another as a collective body, that is weakness. But if we're submissive to one another and as a church we've decided, hey, we want to be submissive and yield to the Holy Spirit, power of God, you know what? That that comes from a place of strength. Submission speaks of one submitting so two can be stronger together. Submission speaks of one submitting so two can be of one accord. That does not mean that you lose your individuality. That does not mean that you lose your voice. That does not mean you don't have a say. But there is a proper order to what God has established between one man and one woman. And frankly, and forgive me for saying this, but the reason divorce is so high today... The reason this world is filled with Karens, the reason we have people growing up confused about their gender and what pronouns they, they use, quite frankly, is due to a lack of submission to God's order in the home. 
And we're using women as an example tonight due to our passage of scripture. And the application can be made on both sides. But it is amazing how it starts with wanting what a man has to walking like a man, to talking like a man, to wanting the body of a man. Does it sound familiar with our culture today? I'm not trying to mansplain it to you tonight. I'm just trying for us to understand that God intended the role of a woman to be submissive and follow the leadership of her husband. Now, I thank, I thank God for every single mom that does not have that man in the home. We're not talking about that. We're not criticizing that. I thank God for you fulfilling the, that gap in your life and raising your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But I would say this, men, if I could just insert this here. I believe a lot of women, women today, maybe not all, but a lot of women today would be submissive if they actually had a man to submit to. If you're going to be a leader, lead by example. You be submissive to God. Perhaps if some men, listen to me very carefully now, if some men were submissive to the role that God had given them, then maybe, just maybe, the woman wouldn't need to have to fulfill that role in her own life. You see, what we need, and we need a revival of this in our churches today, we need some men. Uh, we, we need some godly men. We need some men of faith. But ladies, perhaps now more than ever, we need you to set the example of what it means to be a godly, graceful lady who, though can fend for themselves, submit to the role that God has for you. Learn to be submissive. I am all for independent women. I am all for strong women. But forgive me, there is nothing more unattractive, no matter how pretty they might seem, there is nothing more unattractive than a loud, bossy woman. We say amen to that. Listen to me now. But do you know what's also not attractive? The bride of Christ, the church, who thinks they know better than God. A church that is unsubmissive to their groom. You see, if we're going to be submissive to God, then we need to be submissive to spiritual authority. The spiritual authority God has placed in your life not the one that we choose to listen to in some other church we're not a part of. If we're going to be submissive to God, then we will honor our mother and father. If we're going to be submissive to God, then uh, we'll be faithful to his house. If we're going to be uh, submissive to God, then we'll be faithful to the things of God and to the Great Commission. I would just ask, as the bride of Christ, are we willing to submit to our groom? Number two, number two, I want us to notice the word love. I want us to notice the word love. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, that he loveth his wife, loveth himself. What does that mean? That means that God loves you more than anything. Isn't that a wonderful thought? 
that you are the desires of his heart, that you are the apple of his eye, that he loved you so much, and we praise the Lord for this tonight, that he willingly went to the cross. No man put Jesus on that cross. He willingly laid down his life for you because he loved you and died for your sins. He gave no thought to death for his life, but he gave thought to living a life that was worthy to die for you. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves his bride. That's how much God loves the church. By the way, that's why the church should be important to us. Because what he loves, we should love. That alone again speaks of submission. There should be submission in marriage, but there should be love. It is a sad and tragic thing when you meet someone who has been in an abusive relationship, whether it is physical or emotional or otherwise, usually a woman, and though she's submissive, there's no love. I just want to say this because I'm going somewhere with it. That is not a a healthy relationship. Uh, That is a toxic relationship. That is a relationship that will not last. That is a relationship that is void of happiness. That is a relationship of uh, void of joy, void of love. And I'll go somewhere. I just feel like I just need to say this. Ladies, if you're in that type of relationship and you're submissive, don't let the man make you feel bad because of his lack of love. He has a responsibility to fulfill his role that God has given him. And so I think it just needs to be said, I think our young men need to be reminded of this, but your authority or someone's lack of submission gives no excuse for your lack of love. Men, and listen, I know we'll say amen when we talk about wives submitting to us, and I know that I I might be stepping on some toes, but men, listen to me, don't expect dinner to be ready and on the table when you get home from work if you're unwilling to change a light bulb. And that is the problem with the church today. We may pray and we may come to church and we may do our rituals and we expect God to bless. But we have to ask ourselves a very sobering question. Have we done anything? Have we lived in such a way that God should bless us? Don't expect your woman to be loyal and graceful. You expect her to do all of the grunt work. I understand if you're busy all day. I understand if you work hard, but that that is not an excuse for a lack of love. Your wife would like a kiss now and then. She would like you to take her out on a date now and then. She'd she'd like you to stop telling dumb jokes about in-laws now and then. She'd like to know that she looks good and she'd like you to help around the house now and then. And, 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 and listen, ladies, I know that we are not perfect by any means in this area, but men, we need to realize that love says, I'll be the man you need me to be. And ladies, a real man's not a pushover. But guys, a real man is there when it counts. He's there. What is love? Uh, love is forgiveness. Uh, Love improves. Love tries. Love is an action word. Love does what it needs to do to provide. Love does what it needs to do to pay the bills. And sometimes, and I'm sure we've all been there, 
That's even when it means you go without sleep and you take a second or third job. Love does what it needs to do. Love goes to God in prayer. Uh, love uh, goes and asks for uh, God for health and strength. But notice this. Love gets off the couch and goes to work. Listen, marriage is work. But so is our relationship with God. I think God knows that we're busy. But I also think that God would like us to spend some time in his word. I think God knows that we're busy and all the responsibilities that we have. But I think God would like to spend some time with us in prayer. You see, sadly, there are many Christians, though saved, they have fallen out of love with Christ. I didn't say they lost their salvation, but they've fallen out of love with Christ. Someone once said it like this, a successful marriage requires falling in love many times, always with the same person. You see, you fall out of love when you stop falling in love. How does this happen? It happens when we become distracted. Listen to me, we're going somewhere when it comes to the church, but I think this will help our marriages. Guys, you got to be very careful about those, and you understand what I mean, that would distract you. That would distract you at work. Those that would take your eyes off of your wife. Those that would pollute your mind. Those that would give you a false narrative. And as important as all of that is, church, we need to be careful about those that would distract us from our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because quite frankly, and I believe we would all agree to this tonight, quite frankly, when we say church in the general sense, it is distracted from the groom that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our focus is not on him, but a political candidate. We, we spend more time on a news network than we do our own Bible and in prayer combined. We put more faith in politics. We put more faith uh, in, our, in, in our companies and its paychecks. We put more faith in programs than we do God. We take music that glorifies God and we'll change it to focus on our circumstances and our emotions. We'll take our dress standards, standards that edify our groom and please our groom, and we will change them to catch the eye of this world. We take the gospel that which is the heartbeat of God, and we will water it down so we might appease this world. We might attract this world. Wait a second. Why is the bride of Christ trying to attract anything else but its groom? You see, if we're not careful in our attempt to love others, we will have forsaken the very one that loves us. Number three, I said that when it comes to our relationship between the church and Christ, the bride and groom, we see submission and we see love. But number three, we see purity. We see purity. Verses 26 and 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that it should be holy and without blemish. When we think of purity, we think of one who is upright. We think of one who is moral and righteous. We think of someone who is decent and honorable, a man or woman of integrity, one who is undefiled. 
You think about this, God loves us so much that he not only saved us, but through the Holy Spirit of God in connection with the Word of God gives us power to be what we need to be for him. The Word of God that sanctifies us, that cleans us, that which we have hid in our heart, that we might not sin against him, that we might not be unfaithful to him, our groom, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might stand before him one day as a glorious church, a bride or, 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 or adorned in white, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, pure. I promise you that when your young ladies one day walk down the aisle in white, pure, I promise you no parent is going to regret ever teaching them how to be a Proverbs 31 woman. This is very carefully, I'm going somewhere with this. Mom and dad will be proud of that young lady. Grandparents will be proud of that young lady. Her school teachers and her Sunday school teachers will be proud of her. Her pastor will be proud of her. And she might even be proud of herself. This is very carefully. But do you know who also will be proud to see that bride come walking down pure? Her groom. Her groom. Knowing that that young lady stayed undefiled for him. Could I ask, church, would Christ be proud of us that we had determined and dedicated ourselves to stay pure for him? That we as a church, as a bride of Christ, would, would live in such a way that we would stand before God undefiled by this world without spot, without blemish. That why we, though not perfect, though not sinless, with the help of the Holy Spirit, can be faithful to Christ and Christ alone. That's why we must deal with sin in our own life. Because sin corrupts. Sin defiles. That's why we must protect ourselves and protect our purity. Keep ourselves away from false doctrine and wrong influences and liberal ideologies. Because we should desire to be a pure bride. Number four, and we're through. We see respect. We see respect. Verses 32 and 33. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Respect, I think we would all agree, is key in marriage. If there is no respect, there will be no love. Because that love will fade. If there is no respect, there would be no submission. You mean, you mean somebody is going to submit to you, but they don't respect you? It's not going to happen. If there's no respect, there will be no purity. There will be no determination to keep yourself undefiled. You see, we wonder sometimes about abusive relationships and, and how that could happen. Well, the answer is quite simple. There was no respect. I like what someone once said, and young ladies, I'd encourage you maybe to even write, write this down, but listen to this. They said, seek respect, not attention, because it will last longer. That's why, ladies, and, and this can apply to the men as well, but learn to respect yourself, because if you don't, no one else will. 
if you're looking for attention, you'll get it, but it may be for a moment until the next flashy thing comes along. You see, as, as in the church world, we've done a great job trying to get the world's attention. But that only lasts so long. But if we truly respect the Lord Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to do the drawing, allow the Holy Spirit to build His church, God has a way of blessing that. I would just say as a church and as a people, if we want to be treated with respect, it might be a good idea for all of us to live respectably, but to learn to respect one another. I'll say this, and I'm through. See, I told you we would be short tonight. Let's, let's go ahead and stand. If we're going to respect each other, listen to this very carefully, and we're going to respect each other as a church, that means that we will forsake all others. Verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. You see, when we think about this in context with the church and the bride of Christ, please take note of this. The greatest respect you can show your groom, the greatest respect that you can show the Lord Jesus Christ is that you will forsake all other gods. That you would forsake all those things that would keep your eyes and keep your focus off of Him. So as a church, if, if we want to be what we need to be, there needs to be a reverence again in our churches, not only for the things of God, but for our God, for our groom. I pray tonight that we will take these things to heart.